Thank you. Thank you. Our scripture reading this morning is from Jeremiah 18 about God, the divine potter. Jeremiah received the Lord's word. Go down to the potter's house and I'll give you instructions about what to do there. So I went down to the potter's house. She was working on the potter's wheel. But the place she was making was flawed while still in her hand, so the potter started on another, as seemed best to her. Then the Lord's word came to me, House of Israel, can't I deal with you like this potter, declares the Lord. Like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in mine, House of Israel. Friends, this is our story. This is our song This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now I'd like to invite the children to go with Pastor Renee, grades K through 2, and join her for children's worship. Andrew Harston. Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. From an early age, Mike Lazaridis was known to be an electronics wizard. By the age of four, he was already building his own record player out of Legos and rubber bands. By the time he got to middle school, he made the local news for building a solar panel at the school science fair. And he had read every single science book at the public library. Throughout high school, he built computers in his spare time, which ended up paying for his first year of college. But Mike Lazaridis would go on to invent something that would become the most popular electronic device of its kind, the BlackBerry. A wireless communication device never heard of before for sending and receiving emails. The BlackBerry attracted customers ranging from Bill Gates to Oprah Winfrey, who said, this BlackBerry has literally changed my life. I can't live without this thing. And even when he arrived at the White House, President Obama actually refused to hand his BlackBerry over to Secret Service. So I wonder this morning... How many of you at one time owned a BlackBerry? Okay. I also wonder, how many of you own one now? And final question, I am curious, how many of you had even heard of a BlackBerry for being anything other than a small, dark blue fruit that grows on a bush. 
Maybe that's because of what happened in 2007, the year that the iPhone was first released. Now, Mike Lazaridis was known for studying his competitors' products, but he insisted on his original belief that people wanted a wireless device for work emails and phone calls, period. Not an entire computer system in their pockets. And they still needed a keyboard, right? They would never be able to type things out on a piece of glass. How silly would that be? The reality is that in 1998, almost 10 years before the iPhone came out, one of Mike's top engineers at BlackBerry came to him with an idea that he had been thinking about for quite some time because he was wondering what it might be like to add an internet browser to the BlackBerry. But Mike shut him down. He wasn't interested in that at all. And even after the iPhone started to gain traction, he was certain of his original belief that an internet browser would just drain the battery and strain the bandwidth of all the wireless networks. There's no way something like this would ever work. In the summer of 2009, Mike Lazaridis' invention accounted for nearly half of the smartphones on the market. And at its peak in 2011, there were 85 million BlackBerry users worldwide. And just a few years later, in 2014, the market share for Blackberries had plummeted to less than 1%, only $10 a share. In his book, Think Again, Psychologist Adam Grant points out that the failure to rethink was widespread at BlackBerry. In 2011, a high-level employee in the firm wrote an open letter to BlackBerry saying, we all laughed when the other companies were trying to put a computer on a phone and said there's no way that would work. Now we are three to four years too late. Grant writes, although Mike Lazaridis' thinking may have been the spark that ignited the smartphone revolution, his struggles with rethinking ended up sucking the oxygen out of his company and virtually extinguishing his own invention. He says, it takes humility to reconsider our past commitments It takes doubt to question our present decisions, and it takes curiosity to reimagine our future plans. But what we discover along the way can free us from the shackles of our familiar surroundings and our former selves. I admit that today's text is an interesting one. But it's one that I think invites us to lean into what Adam Grant is talking about. Because within this text is an invitation to be people who are open to change and transformation in our lives. People who are willing to think again. 
This Hebrew lesson from the prophet Jeremiah imagines God as a divine potter, shaping each of us into new creations. And it's interesting to note that the word that is translated as potter means to fashion or to form. It's the same word that is used back in Genesis at creation when God kneels into the dust of the ground, gathers up some clay, and forms and fashions it into a human being. But one scholar, Anathia Portier Young, points out something unique about this image of God as our divine potter that really caught my attention this week. She says, though God shaped humankind and breathed life into its nostrils, Jeremiah reminds us that God did not fire the clay from which she made us. God is able to shape and to reshape us, and God labors tirelessly at the wheel on our behalf. Now, I admit there are so many directions a preacher could go with today's text. I know several of the Bible study classes follow along with the text that we preach and discuss in worship, and I I caught some of your comments in the hallway today, including what Phil Collier told his Bible study class, that discussing this text was almost like whipping up a pot of spaghetti and then throwing it against the wall. So we'll see what kind of spaghetti we can whip up here today. Because today I'm struck by this image, this idea of what it looks like, what it means for us to be clay in the potter's wheel that has not yet been fired. I don't know about you, but I've never heard a sermon on that before. You see, clay that has already been fired dries up. It shrinks. It hardens into a permanent structure and shape. And it's often designed for one singular focus, to be a bowl or a pitcher or a coffee mug. And while it can certainly be beautiful, it's also hard. It can't change. And it's pretty easy to break. But clay that has not yet been fired can be shaped and reshaped endlessly. It's filled with possibility, always open to change and new directions. And so I wonder this morning as I reflect on this text, what does it look like for us to be like this clay that has not yet been fired? I don't know about you, but it actually feels much simpler and much safer to be fired up and sturdy and sure and certain of ourselves than it is to be this messy blob of spaghetti. I don't know that I like flimsiness of change and uncertainty. It makes me feel vulnerable, which reminds me that for us to be like People who are clay on the potter's wheel is going to be a challenging way in which to live our lives, which maybe is why I haven't heard a sermon on this idea before. You see, I think we have this tendency to armor ourselves up, to surround ourselves with a shield of defensiveness and certainty. We put on our game face in order to protect ourselves from getting hurt. 
And I would venture to say that far too many preachers and far too many churches live behind the safety and certainty of armor, too. Social worker Brene Brown points out that we learn to armor up early in life as a way to protect ourselves. But once we begin to grow into adults, we start to realize that this armor is actually preventing us from growing into ourselves. So she says, just as we need to learn to exercise our courage muscle to build a stronger backbone, we also need to learn to exercise the vulnerability muscle that allows us to soften and to stay open rather than always on attack and always ready to defend. For many of us, she says, our experiences of trauma have taught us that vulnerability can actually be dangerous. Violence and oppression have made vulnerability a liability, and we struggle to find a place emotionally and physically safe enough to be vulnerable. But we must find that place, she says, with the people who have earned the right to hear our stories. Because vulnerability is not weakness. It is our most accurate measure of courage. It's why she says whenever she's feeling anxious or worried walking into a situation, she whispers to herself six words which are on the front of your bulletin today. They are strong back, soft front, and wild heart. She says these words breathe something into me that make me kind of straighten up, take a big deep breath, and keep doing the next right thing. Now, she points out that these words were actually inspired by her friend Joan Halifax, who says that all too often our so-called strength actually comes from fear and not love. Instead of having a strong back, many of us have a defended front, shielding a weak spine. In other words, we walk around brittle and defensive, trying to conceal our own lack of confidence. If we strengthen our backs, metaphorically speaking, and develop a spine that's flexible but sturdy, then we can risk having a front that's soft and open. How can we move past fear to a place of genuine tenderness? She teaches that it comes with having a strong back, and a soft front, when we can truly be transparent and see the world clearly and let the world see into us. You see, I don't think any of us can open ourselves to God's work of transformation in our lives without having a strong back and a soft front. Because the potter can't do anything with the clay if it's already fired up and hardened. But as Francesca Matthews Green points out, everyone wants transformation, but no one wants to change. Thanks to Jim Shelton for pointing that out to me. That's the benefit of preaching twice. You get some great ideas after the first service. And so I wonder this morning what that vulnerable space of transformation on the potter's wheel looks like for you. 
Do you have a space like that? A space where you don't have to wear the armor and, dep- and pretend like everything is fine all the time. A space where you can open yourself up and allow yourself to be fully seen. Where is it that you can ask your most honest questions? Or where you can bring your doubts, your fears, your uncertainties? Because my sincere hope is that each of us has a place like that. And I really hope that each of us has a place like that here at Highland in some form or fashion, whether it be a Bible study class or a ministry group or even a small group of trusted friends. And if you don't, our ministers and I want to help you find that. Because that's the kind of divine and vulnerable space where transformation happens. It's on the potter's wheel. And yeah, it gets messy, but it also is where God can create something beautiful. And I believe that that's the kind of church and community that we as Highland are always aspiring to be. I was talking with some visitors recently who've been here at Highland with us, and they shared that in some of their previous church experiences, they were discouraged or sometimes even reprimanded for asking questions. And I just looked at them and I said, I want you to know that there is not a single question that is off the table at our church. And I hope we never become so sure and so certain about anything that we become hardened to questions and curiosity and wonder about God's world. One of my favorite new TV shows is Ted Lasso. I wonder how many of you are watching Ted Lasso with me, getting ready for season four. If you're not, this is what you get to do on your Labor Day holiday is Ted Lasso. You won't regret it. So Ted Lasso is about this beloved American football coach who is recruited to the UK to manage a British football team. And in one of my favorite scenes from the show, Rupert Mannion, the vindictive former owner of the team, shows up one day unannounced and places a significant bet with Ted over a game of darts. Now, the truth is that Rupert really looks down at Ted Lasso. He couldn't imagine someone as goofy and clumsy as Ted Lasso could possibly be good at darts. So Rupert thinks this is a pretty easy bet. But Ted walks up to take the first shot, and he says to Rupert, you know, guys have underestimated me my entire life, and for years I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day I was driving my little boy to school and I saw a quote by Walt Whitman on the wall. And it said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. Then he throws his first triple 20 on the dartboard. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work when all of a sudden it hits me. All the fellas that used to belittle me Not a single one of them was ever curious about me. You know, they thought they had everything figured out, so they judged everyone and everything. And I realized that their underestimating me, who I was, had nothing to do with it. But if they were curious, 
they would have asked questions. Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? He throws another triple 20. (laughs) To which I would have answered, yes, sir, every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 until I was 16 when he passed away. And then he throws the final shot to win the game. And he says, barbecue sauce. (laughs) Friends, if we are going to be like clay that has not yet been fired, if we are going to be open to the Spirit doing a work of transformation and growth in our lives, in our church, in the world, I believe it begins here. It begins on the potter's wheel And so may we be people who are willing to get curious and not judgmental about God's world. May we be people who are willing to ask hard questions of others and of ourselves. People who are willing to rethink even our most preciously held beliefs and convictions May we always aspire to be people with strong backs, soft hearts, soft fronts, and wild hearts. And may there be no end to the work of God, the divine potter, who is continually doing a new and beautiful thing within us, among us, and all around us. May it be so, Highland. Amen.